Good morning, everybody. <laughs> what I have on my heart for this morning um, is to be reminded of the love of God, the love that God has for us, to be refreshed by it, to be filled by it, um, and to be challenged by it. Um, and the scripture that, that is, is going to base everything that I have for us this morning um, is from 2 Corinthians 5, from verses 14 down. Um, if you can turn to it on your phones or Bibles, if not, I will read it out either way. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, all the way down. So it says, We are ruled by Christ's love for us. We are certain that if one person died for everyone else, then all of us have died. And Christ died, did die for all of us. He died so we would no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who died and was raised to life for us. We are careful not to judge people by what they seem to be, though we once judged Christ in this way. Anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The past is forgotten and everything is new. God has done it all. He sent Christ to make peace between himself and us. And he has given us the work of making peace between himself and others. What we mean is that God was in Christ, offering peace and forgiveness to the people of this world. And he has given us the work of sharing his message about peace. We were sent to speak for Christ, and God is begging you to listen to our message. We speak for Christ and sincerely ask you to make peace with God. Christ never sinned, but God treated him as a sinner so Christ could make us acceptable to God. Father, my prayer is that you would prepare our hearts today, God. that you would prepare the hearts that need to be refreshed and need to be refilled. That you would prepare the broken heart to be mended by your grace and your love. That you would prepare the heart that is broken because it cannot be broken. A heart that's filled with pride. Would you prepare the heart, Father, of the person that's guilty for never feeling guilty for their mistakes. And I thank you for your word, Father. I thank you for the life of your son, the death of your son, and the resurrection of his body and his life. And in Jesus' name, I ask that you would prepare our hearts. Amen. Okay, so the first thing is God's love is not, not the love of this world. And I'll start with this example. We say we love a lot of things in our life. So we say we love uh, our pets, we say we love our parents, but we also say we love pizza, for example. Now, we can think of any slice of pizza that we love, whether it's barbecue chicken, whether it's meat lover, whether it's deluxe, whether it's Canadian, and we can fill ourselves with this love. 
for this pizza slice. But I guarantee you that if I were to offer you the next day the same amount of pizza that you so love, you would say, Eric, take that away from me. I'm sick of it. I don't want to see it for another month. Because that's the love of this world. It never satisfies. The love of God is not like that. The love of God is when we taste and see his love, we will no longer want to be satisfied by anything else, and we will continually seek for his love. We will continually seek to be filled by him and to be refreshed by him. We will not have the answer of, I know who Jesus is, I don't need him right now, I'm going to do something else. And if that's you today, I want you to hear the word of God, the love that he has for you, the, the work that he's doing in your life, even in that place. So the love of God is revealed. The word of God tells us this. I believe this and we should all know this. The love of God is perfectly revealed in the, in the life of Jesus, his son. Hebrews 1, chapter 1, verses 3 tells us he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. So we're going to look at Knowing that Jesus reveals the perfect nature of God is the perfect picture of God's love. We will look at how Jesus has dealt with situations, has dealt with different people, has dealt with different hearts to reveal this love of God for everybody. If we can turn to uh, Hosea in chapter 1. Now Hosea is a, is a prophet in the Old Testament that God uses to speak to the people of Israel and to do things to show the people of Israel something. And the story of Hosea goes like this. In chapter 1, the Lord said, Hosea, Israel has betrayed me like an unfaithful wife. Marry such a woman and have children by her. And then if we move on to Hosea chapter 3, it says, once again the Lord spoke to me, and this time he said, Hosea, fall in love with an unfaithful woman who has a lover, do this to show that I love the people of Israel, even though they worship idols and enjoy the offering cakes made with fruit. So I, Hosea, paid 15 pieces of silver and about 150 kilograms of grain for such a woman. Then I said, now you are mine. You will have to remain faithful to me, though it will be a long time before we sleep together. It will also be a long time before Israel has a king or before sacrifices are offered at the temple or before there is any way to get guidance from God. But later, Israel will turn back to the Lord their God and to David their king. At that time, they will come to the Lord with fear and trembling, and he will be good to them. The story of Hosea points us to Christ. Like Terry said a couple weeks ago for the people that would hear, Terry said something that he said, when we read of the word of God, picture yourself in the story. Put yourselves into the story and imagine this. Imagine God telling Jesus, telling Hosea in this point, Go find an unfaithful woman and marry her because that's how Israel is treating me. And I still go after that person. So Hosea goes in and marries this unfaithful person, this unfaithful woman, and has children by her. And then in chapter 3, it seems like it's a different woman, but if, if you read the background story, it's actually the same woman that Hosea is going after. And now picture yourself, it says in, in chapter 3 that he paid 15 shekels of silver and 15 kilograms of grain. He just bought the price of his wife. He had to pay for something that was his. 
And this is what the world does to us. The unfaithful wife in prostitution is being sold. Imagine yourself walking through the streets going to find your wife or your loved one. Knowing that they've been unfaithful, And you see this person standing on a platform, completely naked, in chains. And you say, take that person down. That's my, that's my loved one. The world says, no, I don't care who that is. You're going to have to pay for her. You're going to have to pay for him. You're going to have to pay for what you've done. And Hosea pays the price. Hosea again shows the love of God. Hosea, Jesus is the greater Hosea paying the price for us to show us and to, and, and, and to fulfill the scripture in, chapter, in, in verses 5 and chapter 3 of Hosea. But later Israel will turn back to the Lord their God and to David their king. We know in the New Testament that Jesus, his genealogy, his family line pointed to the line of David. And scripture fulfills that by saying David will have a king on the throne forever and ever. And that's Jesus. Jesus is the greater Hosea. Jesus is the greater David. And this is what God is saying. I will, con I will continue to pour my love out for you. I will pay the price for you so that you can return to me and be with your king and savior. Think about Jesus at the well with the prostitute or the unfaithful woman at the well. Nobody wanted to deal with her, and on top of it, she was a Samaritan woman. Jesus was not supposed to talk to her. And Jesus looked at the woman, spoke into the woman's life, and that woman went back later and told the whole town what Jesus had done. At a later time, Israel will turn back to the Lord their God and to David their king. They will come with fear and trembling, and he will be good to them. Interestingly enough, Hosea paid 15 pieces of silver and 150 kilograms of grain, which amount to 30 pieces of silver in total, if you do the, the math. What Jesus was sold for. If we remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we are careful not to judge people by what they seem to be. Though we once judged Christ this way, the world judged Christ to be useless to them, to be worth 30 pieces of silver, and they sold him for that. And he ended up being the son of God. So God was telling Hosea, do not look to the flesh. Don't judge by the flesh because that person is mine. That person has a potential in Christ that is mine. Timothy Keller tells this story in his book, The Prodigal God. And my heart and my prayer is that we, we, we would be moved by what it costs to bring us home. The story is from the film called Three Seasons. So the story has a man named Hai who's a taxi driver on a bike. If you have ever been to Times Square, New York City, or any other city in the world, you see people on a bike and they're taxi drivers. They're pulling people behind them. This is Hai. He's in love with a beautiful prostitute named Lan. Both of them have deep, unfulfilled desires. 
Hai's unfulfilled desire is to be with Lan and make her his wife. He loves her. He loves Lan. And Lan's desire is to belong to the world she works in. Lan the prostitute is poor and longs to live in the beautiful city and hotel she works in, but she never spends the night. She hopes that the money she makes will be by her means will be her means of escape. But instead the work brutalizes and enslaves her. Hyde the taxi driver on a bike enters a cycling race one day and wins the top prize. He uses the money to buy a hotel room for a night and pay the fee for land. But he does not use his wealth and power over her. He spent all that he had so that she can sleep and rest for the night in the normal world to fulfill her desire to belong. Land finds such grace deeply troubling. But when it becomes apparent to her that he is using his power to serve her rather than control her, it begins to transform her. Making it impossible for Land to return to a life of prostitution. Jesus Christ, who had all the power in the world, saw us enslaved by the very things we thought would free us. And in Philippians 2, he emptied himself of his glory and became a servant. He laid everything aside at the cost of his life, paid the debt for our sins to purchase the only place we could find rest in his father's house. It's not the repentance. It's not our feeling guilty. It's not our thinking of, I've done something wrong. I've got to fix it. That causes the Father's love. It's the other way around. The Father's love chasing you and pursuing you will cause that repentance. Transform your life for you to know you can't ever go back to that. Turn to 1 John chapter 4, verses 9-10. It says, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the restoration, to be the reconciliation, to be the propitiation for our sins. To be the atonement for our sins. To be the payment for our sins. And the Gospel of John tells us from the beginning that the Word was God, the Word was with God, and in fact the Word became flesh and came to the world. The Word of God and the Word being with God is Jesus. The the, the Gospel of John tells us He came to the world. He was not born into the world out of choice, out of a normal normal, uh, uh, married, married couple having a kid and it just so happened that this Jesus was a great man. No, he came to the world for a reason, to take us out of this world, to love us, redeem us. And not because we're anything special, 
but because he loves us and chose us. It's not who we are, it's whose we are that causes a change. And that whose we are is what keeps us in the love of God. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8, it says, For while we were still weak, that's us, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While Hosea saw his wife still sinning, paid the price for her. While we were still in rebellion against God, God died for us to show us what his love is like. And verse 7 tells us, maybe one of us can, can, can pick up the courage inside of us to die for a righteous person, to die for a good cause, to stand in front of someone about to get hurt. Maybe one of us would, would, would have the courage and boldness to do that, or the compassion in our hearts. But none of us would be able to do that for our worst enemy, for the person that's actually attacking everything that we stand for. And that's who God died for. And he sent his only son to do this. Charles Spurgeon gives this example about how, in what manner, God loved us. And he tells a story about a family during a famine in the East. And he says this family was reduced to absolute starvation. And the only possibility of preserving the life of the family was to sell one of the children into slavery. So the family considered it. The pinch of hunger became unbearable, and their children pleading for bread tugged so painfully at their heartstrings that they had to entertain the idea of selling one to save the lives of the rest. Now they had four sons. So they asked themselves, the parents asked themselves, who of these should be sold? It must not be the first. How could it be the firstborn son? The second was so strangely like his father that he seemed a reproduction of him. And the mother said, I will not part with my second son. The third was so singularly like the mother that the father said he would sooner die than that, that, than that this dear boy should go into bondage. And as for the fourth, he was their Benjamin, their last, their darling. And they could not part with him either. They concluded that it would be better for all of them to die together. Yet God so loved us and Charles Spurgeon puts it strongly when he says he seemed to love us better than his only son. He did not spare his only son so that he might spare us. He permitted his son to perish from among men so that whosoever believes might not perish but have everlasting life.
if this type of love rubs you the wrong way or makes you feel uncomfortable, I think you're in the right place. I think that's God rubbing you, God making, making you feel uncomfortable because this world gives us a depiction, a misconception of to be in this world, to be blessed by anything you do, but to be blessed by God, to, be, to feel loved, is to be comfortable. When you're comfortable is when you're at peace. When you're comfortable is when you're in joy. When you're comfortable, everything's going fine, and that's not the love of God. If you want to be comfortable in this world, make sure you never love anybody, that you're selfish and never sacrifice. Then you might feel comfortable. And God's love is sacrificial, it's not selfish, and it gives everything every time. Look at the example of Barabbas and Jesus in Matthew 27, verses 15 to 22. Now at the feast, it says, now at the feast the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, For I have suffered much because of him today, in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two of you do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. Firstly, we, I, I would like to point out that the feast that it's talking about here in verses 15, now at the feast, the feast that was going on at this time, if we look at Jewish culture, was the Passover feast. And the Passover feast, the Jewish culture would remember the time they were let go from slavery in Egypt. They would remember the time where they had to sacrifice the lamb and smear the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. So when the angel of the Lord came over the place, they would not die. And judgment would pass over them. This is the feast that the Jews were commemorating. This is the feast that the Jews were getting prepared to celebrate. And when they had Barabbas, the murderer, the rebel, the terrorist, in fact, and Jesus who had done nothing wrong to them, they picked Jesus to die. And the point is this, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Barabbas, who was waiting to be on death row, who was prepared to pick up the cross and go to be crucified for the murders that the murders that he had committed for the crimes he had committed for the sins he had committed Christ took that that cross from him and didn't say a word He didn't say a word 
And I think the movie The Passion of the Christ depicts this moment pretty well in where Barabbas is being told, we want Barabbas, we want Barabbas, crucify Jesus. Barabbas walks down the stairs in the movie, happy as can be, arms wide open to embrace the world, except the world does not embrace him because the world could care less that we turn away from Jesus. The world would not embrace us if we turn away from the love of God. The world would just leave us as we are. But Barabbas thinks the people love me, walking arms wide open for the people, and the people are just pushing Barabbas aside because he wasn't the point. He doesn't matter to us either. Barabbas' response should have been, Jesus just saved my life from death row. I will bow my knee and praise him. But he doesn't do that. And Jesus doesn't say a word. In fact, Jesus takes the cross for that person as well. Jesus takes the cross for us when we're unfaithful to him. He takes the cross when we could care less for him. And like John 3.16 claims, so that if we believe we may have everlasting life, we have to believe in this love of God. Look at what the psalmist says in Psalm 63, verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. His steadfast love is better than life. And Jesus wasn't a man of just words. He actually put what, he, what his father had showed him. He actually obeyed the father and lived out that love. As we see in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 to 31, Jesus asked, what is the greatest commandment? How do we please God? What's the best way to live our lives? And Jesus says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus is saying we have to love God with everything we have, and there we will love others as we love ourselves. If we love God, we love ourselves and we'll be able to love others. Jesus didn't just say those things. He actually did those things. Hosea would, the wife of Hosea, when she turns back to the Lord, when she turns back to David, her king, she will not just be in a relationship of loving God but hating everyone else. She'll love God and love other people. And that's why Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says to, to, to the Corinthian church, church, for the love of Christ controls us. Why? How does the love of God control us? In another translation, the love of God compels us. Think about Paul when he got beaten for, for preaching the gospel, left for dead outside the city, and it says the love of God compelled him to get up and go do it again. What kind of love is that? And Paul says, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all. Jesus died for all. For what reason? That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. 
And Paul again in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 to 39 says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he loves us when we're unfaithful. He loves us when people don't even care about him. And he also loves the people that are walking with him and falling. And walking with him and falling. To be compelled and to be controlled by that love is what God does for us as we walk this out. As we're loving other people. Think about Zechariah 3. In in chapter 3, Zechariah has a vision about the high priest Joshua. And it says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. God showed Zechariah, Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is, this, is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your inequity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And then the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, this is verse 6, solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you walk in my ways and keep my charge, Then you shall rule my house and have charge over my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Joshua is a high priest of the people. And like we heard in prayer this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2, we have been called a holy priestly nation. We have been chosen by God to walk this to, to, be, to have that message of reconciliation for the people of the world. And this is what Joshua represents as the high priest for the people of Israel. And again, imagine yourself in the story. Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord, standing before God, standing before Jesus, and Satan standing at your right side, standing behind you, ready to accuse you, ready to start firing out your list of sins. You're, you're pointing at your weaknesses, pushing all your buttons. And what does, what does God do for us? What does Jesus do for us? He says, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen you. The Lord who has chosen me. This is a person, this is a son, this is a daughter plucked from the fire from my hand. This is my person. So Jesus defeats Satan, the power that Satan has over our lives to continually be telling us these lies. Jesus defeats that person. We also have to remember that the accusations that we hear in in the back of our minds from from the enemy, Jesus knows those accusations as well. So we cannot be living this life fighting those lies the whole time so then maybe we could feel worthy enough to tell the Lord, hey God, I'm worthy to be yours. 
No, that's not the gospel and that's not salvation. That's not the love of God. Jesus defeats Satan and there we stand, Joshua stands, still with filthy garments, still stained with his sins, still stained with everything he's done wrong. And what does Jesus say to him? Remove the filthy garments from him. Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. And I will clothe you with pure vestments. Satan is always looking for opportunities to accuse us. And we defeat him by this. By remembering and looking towards the work on the cross. The finished work on the cross. We win by the word of God and our submission and willingness to serve God, to love him with everything we have, to love ourselves and love other people. So from now on, therefore, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. He made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If the world looked at Jesus and only saw flesh, they looked at Jesus and saw no worth. And he was God. Paul is telling us we have to see people the way God sees people. We have to see people with faith in our hearts, with compassion in our hearts, with love in our hearts, because that person is called by God if they believe. We are given this message of reconciliation for the world. And we know that today, tomorrow, and forever, God will keep us in his love. God will keep his people. God will continue to cleanse his people. God will continue to challenge his people, refresh his people, refill his people. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 to 10. It says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. The love of God is never ending. It's everlasting. His steadfast love is better than life. May we praise him with our lives. May we praise him with our lips. And may we praise him the way we love other people. Father, I thank you for... for the power in in your word... I thank you for the power of the life of your Son. 
I thank you that you redeem lives. That you take broken things, broken people, and cause us to see the glory of of your love, of your grace. And thank you for the gift of your spirit to lead us, to teach us, and to speak to us each and every single day. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.